This is a Fubar Radio podcast. Go to fubarradio.com for more details. Screen Talk with Dan Clark on Fubar Radio. Hello, welcome to the show. Today we have a brilliant guest, Nick Helm. He's a brilliant comedian. You may know him also from the TV shows Uncle Loaded. He had his own show, Heavy Entertainment, and he's currently in the uh, TV show on Dave called Eat Your Heart Out, which is a show I would love to do myself, where he just gets to eat lots of food and hang out with friends and comedians. I mean, what wouldn't you like about that? So here's his first choice of his two songs. This is by an act I've never really heard of called Goan Gowan. We'll find out when I asked him why he picked this. Wow. Moonlight Desires by Gowans. I've never heard of Gowan. That was the first song from our guest today, Nick Helm. Why did you pick that? I, I think that that is, uh, yeah, it's just one of the most amazing, <laughs> magical songs that I'd ever heard. And it comes from a film called Wolf Cop, which is a film about, it's a, I think it's a Canadian film that is about a... You've a, gone misty-eyed a, just talking well, about Well, the it. film is all right. The film's all right. It's kind of like, it's it's it's... It's like 75% great, and then there's this weird kind of like uh, witchcraft cult subplot that's been like that's been put is that into the it, wolf part of which the... isn't great no but it's a, but the transformation scenes are amazing and that song I mean it's the most romantic beautiful song you've ever heard and it sort of somehow seamlessly um, uh, seamlessly blends in with the actual score that is written by another by another, I think they're called Blazing Guns and it's by another band. Uh, and then they bring in this song and the great thing about it is um, it's the big romantic uh, moment where uh, a man uh, who's transformed into a, a giant wolf has <laughs> sex with a woman with gigantic fake breasts and uh, and then they play this song in a prison cell and uh, and then the song comes over it and it's just yeah it's ridiculous Is this, is this an 80s movie? <laughs> no it's sort of an 80s uh, throwback but it was made was it? a couple of years ago 2014. There's a sequel coming out. And is that a song? Is Gowan from the 80s though? Gowan's from the that 80s. That song's from the 80s. I think they did sort of like a John Landis thing where yeah. it's got moon moonlight in it and it's about a werewolf. So okay. they put the song in. And I think they probably did a Google search. The soundtrack to American Werewolf, by the way, is just phenomenal, Amazing. isn't it? Yeah, isn't yeah. it? That song just reminded me so much of um, so many 80s films where you'd have the montage two thirds of the way in and <laughs> something like. Uh, I, I just kept thinking of Mannequin. Oh, right. You know, that well, nothing's going to stop. Sort of a, it's a sex montage. Yeah, it's really funny because he's got like a like a wolfcock. And yeah, it's amazing. I've got to check this out, wolfcock. That's amazing. There's a shot when he's going for a wee. Yeah, that like as a human, the first time he changes into a wolf, and his uh, penis splits in half, and a hairy wolfcock comes out of it. That's. I mean, that's gonna. And then you they can, play that song later. Like, <laughs> oh my like, god! And that's the most beautiful song I've ever heard. Have you ever suffered anything quite as gruesome as that when you've been to the tour? I have, and it's actually. in my it's in my tour. <laughs> it's actually the, the the middle section of my tour. But it wasn't a wolf. What animal's penis cock. came through your penis? It was ju- no animal came through my penis. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about tapes, cassettes, Cassette tapes. as as we were listening to that song because you we were talking a bit about Dire Straits, bizarrely, and uh, you just made me remember. A, a kind of bygone like cassette singles do you remember those yeah that you'd have to all that effort just for just one for song one, one song yeah I've got my what did I get I got Alice Cooper Lost in America on, on tape it's one of my most prized possessions and you still have it yeah it's a yeah. single I can't play it anymore. no that's the problem is where where and they always fucked up they always chewed up didn't yeah, they yeah yeah and you had to like wind it around with a biro I was in um, America like I don't know two months ago and I went into a second hand record shop and I found a cassette single of Philip Schofield singing the song from Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat in America. In America, that's a that's a, a that's a great story because it's also you've dropped in the fact that you've just been to America. yeah I've been to America. That's weird, though, isn't it? He's like who that. who owned that in the first place out there? Yeah. Unless someone travelled to America, got rid of it. They wanted to get rid of that cassette so badly they went to America to do it. And who's going to buy it? Of a cassette tape. Is it a single? It was a single. Oh, that's so weird. It was like Philip Schofield single. What were the what, songs? Whereabouts in America? It was Los Angeles, yeah. Of course. So, you know, you made me drop that in by asking the question. Yeah, but you were desperate to do it. <laughs> um, I was in Pennsylvania and I was in... Name like a, dropper. I, I was in, but we were in the middle of nowhere and it was this... Uh, and we went into this kind of like um, second-hand shop and... Uh, 
a thrift store. That's yeah. what they call them. Yeah, yeah. And they had uh, an original Nakatomi Plaza Die Hard arcade machine. Wow. And um, I could afford it, but I couldn't get it home. <laughs> and I was so good. It would cost like tens of thousands to ship something like that. Yeah, yeah. It? well, yeah. It, it was like, it was like, uh, it was like a few hundred. So what was it? Like, is it, uh, was Proper it in the shape machine? I think of it had, the building or something? No, it was, it was the thing. And I think it had sort of like machine gun kind of uh, controllers. Yeah. And then the idea is that you go through Nakatami Plaza. And, and then do you hear occasional things. like Yippee-ki-yay motherfucker and stuff like that? Or I'd hope so. It wasn't yeah. plugged in but it, mm-hmm. but it was but it was a really old one I think that there might have been kind of a, a game that was made a few years ago but this one looked really old do you remember the um, the Daily Thompson arcade machines where no. you had to hit those two buttons really fast no. to make them run imagine finding that in America yeah. that would be weird or Daily Thompson <laughs> Daily Thompson <laughs> they're massive they're, they love him out there <laughs> when we were listening to that music because you do a lot of music in your live shows but actually a lot of the TV stuff you've been doing lately does not involve as much music as so you've probably got a whole audience who know you more for like parts you've played in shows or for the the recent Dave show it's still a big part of your live stuff right uh, I don't know I mean Uncle always had music there yeah was, he was, was Uncle and that was at the beginning of the year and then I've done a couple of things without music but basically I've sort of slowed down a bit before you anyone said you were just, just before you came in you said you were boxing so oh, I've, yeah but I've yeah. slowed down a bit in terms of well I haven't slowed down it's just that you have less time to devote yeah. to uh, so when I started out I used to play guitar a lot and write a lot of songs and then when shows came out you'd go oh and I'd do an Edinburgh show every year I haven't done an Edinburgh show in like a new one yeah. since 2013 where I got Foster's nominated and, yeah. uh, and uh, that was Fos- the last one I did Fosters? We don't yeah. don't know what that means it's, uh, anymore. What, it's what the old timers call the Perrier, <laughs> and uh, nominated, nominated. It went from <laughs> water to booze to something else. Now what, I don't know to what piss. it is. I love Fosters, and well, I would have loved it slightly more. <laughs> yeah, had it been more it's than a, a nom. It's a sweet thing now, isn't a double it? Double nom. It gets you pissed and angry. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been working on other stuff since since 2013, and what's good about Edinburgh is that it always gives you like yeah. an annual deadline yeah, to yeah. get a, like a body of work done so after every Edinburgh there'd be like four songs that would end up in the show but I'd have written about eight yeah now with this show I've kind of been writing for like a couple of years and I've got maybe an album's worth of songs that are just that could like a concept album that could be around this show but yeah. I've got four songs in this show do you find doing the more stand-up stuff or the song what, what do you find comes easier for you the stand-up yeah is easier and it would be, yeah, it would be a lot. I mean, these songs aren't particularly funny either. Quite they're, they're, serious. I, well, I like, write, I like writing music, and one of the things about writing, you know, comedy songs is that there has to be sort of like some sort of extra purpose other than musical. Yeah. And that's quite frustrating sometimes. But this song, I, this show, I haven't really focused on. Do you ever um, write, because so, I've done the comedy songs in my stuff as well, and sometimes I have a great song, but it's just not funny enough. Yeah, I've cut loads of those. Yeah. Isn't it annoying because you're like, God, I really love that melody it's or good, that, that chorus. You just, sort of, you just sort of doubt that the audience are going to kind of stick with you for something like that. And it's also a little bit navel-gazy and a bit self-indulgent. Yeah. I think. So there has to be a purpose. So, But these shows, these songs, they're sort of funny in an ironic way, but I haven't really... But that's sort of deliberate, and I haven't really concentrated on writing punchlines and stuff. They're just sort of like... The, they're meant to project a general vibe. I'm slightly nervous about it because this is my first tour, and I don't know what... But you haven't toured before? I've done miniature work-in-progress tours. But that was like a couple of years ago. And this is sort of... And all of that work has been kind of like towards... Putting a tour so in together. the past, you've just done Edinburgh and then maybe a London Soho, resident. Yeah. yeah. And okay. then I did a couple of, uh, couple of my shows I took to Wales and stuff. But basically, one of my shows had a band in. One of my shows had kind of like this massive set like a huge set one of my shows had uh, loads of costume changes and everything like that and they were always kind of like really and they needed a technician and all of this the complicated parts so did they were always m- too complicated yeah to did you ever make any money never made any no. money never made any money because of I, Edinburgh I, I just did it for love well and no one ever makes money from Edinburgh do they unless you're like Jason Byrne or someone I think there's a way of using Edinburgh to springboard extra stuff out of it yeah and my stuff just began and ended in Edinburgh really really see I did a tour once where I had some uh, songs from previous years and I thought oh, I just want to I just want to be in a band so I took a band on the road 
and lost so much money yeah. doing it. Well, yeah, because they were all proper professional musicians, musicians, yeah. And they have like, you know, like daily what? rates. Do it for like, you know, profit share. No, thank you. Do it for love. Yeah. Do it for a split. It's just like no, <laughs> no. travel card. No, fuck um, you. Well, I did. Uh, I did the Kentish Town Forum, and I oh, made amazing. no money off of that. Really? Yeah, because of the band. <laughs> and it's just, I love, I love but working. But that's with band. like, isn't that like the two thousand seats or something? Yeah. How much were your band well, was charging? It, was it a thousand seats? Oh, a thousand. Was it a thousand? One thousand five hundred. Yeah. Say. Jesus, yeah. you need to get less expensive. You, sh- you shouldn't employ Dave Gilmore. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they are an amazing band, but then at the same time, but that's what people always ask: is, "Oh, are you going to bring the band?" And you yeah. go, "If you fucking pay for it." <laughs> yeah. It's fun though, isn't it? That's it's, the thing. Well, I'm touring with my mate David Trent, yeah. and yeah, that's the thing about stand-up, isn't it? It's lonely, yeah. and and it can be really boring. The 23 hours that you're not on stage yeah yeah, so I'm taking my mate with me and we're kind of like doing that well good luck with the tour the one thing that I really want to wish you luck with this is my clever segue into talking about your current TV show but you are about because I I just would have assumed you've been on tour before but you are about to embark on the diet of a tour which in some parts of this country is something I wouldn't wish upon anyone. Yeah. You come off stage, eat a great show, you're buzzing, let's go and get some food, nothing. Nothing is, everything's gone. Well, we uh, had an experience like that. We did a, we did a, like a 10-day work-in-progress tour of the Midlands. Right. Uh, <laughs> Specifically in, the Midlands. In 2015. I don't yeah. know why we did the Midlands either. It might have been that There's we had a promoter. quite he- heavy metal about that, isn't there? It was, so. it was, it was, it was weird. I'm slightly nervous, I'm really nervous about that. Well, I've had to rewrite an entire show because of because I did the Midlands <laughs> two years ago and they can they constitute as like a third of my tour dates yeah. and it was a really good show but I never toured it but I think enough people have seen it on my tour dates that I have to write a, uh, write another show so just for the Midlands just for the Midlands yeah. just for Leeds specifically yeah. Leeds in the wardrobe that's annoying but I do love the wardrobe in Leeds but yeah so we were there and, and uh, I get really nervous before I go on stage so I can't eat in the day and yeah. so when you come stage you're starving and if you're in like I don't know you've got tour dates here but when you're in somewhere like Winchester or the, oh, is, there's a venue called the wardrobe I just kept the wardrobe I've never heard of that I kept thinking why is he in a wardrobe it's, what's going on it's here a, it's a music venue no wonder that was a tough gig in Hull when we in, went to Fruit yeah that was difficult finding I don't think we ate I just don't think we ate so you've just made a show where you go and eat at amazing places mm. And now you're going to do how many dates? I think it's 28. 28 dates. And you know, one of my beef, uh, beef, I have a big beef about the state of the restaurant world at the moment, which is that there's too many chains. Right. There's like everything's just being franchised. Uh, and wherever you go, you just see this cluster of Pizza Express, Byron, Wagamamas, and it's like it's taken all the sort of um, personality out of. Well, even something that I really, really love, like Bone Daddy's mm-hmm. in Soho, that's that's got like three or four chains yeah. across London. And I, and I don't, you know, I don't begrudge it. I think that that's, that's brilliant. Bone Daddy's is. Uh, Amazing, I love it. Um, Popo, that's a great one. That Popo, has that has like chains and stuff. But um, when you go on tour, you actually pray to God that you see a Wagamama's because that's how bad it gets. You're like, oh God, there's that little I cluster. I don't think you'd ever get that. <laughs> you will. Um, <laughs> I guarantee it. Do you know what about Wagamama's? Is that I just uh, I've never ordered right. I, well, mm-hmm. I ordered right once, and then every subsequent visit has been like searching for that white whale or something yeah. that you you, you they, panic they the do first white time. Whale? <laughs> Oh my god! That, that's on the speciality menu. But you panic, you panic the first time and you order something at random, and it's amazing. And then you go back every time, and you can never yeah. find it again. And um, well, the worst one is when you're in a relationship and you like a restaurant <laughs> that that person's had a bad experience, and you can never go back there with them. Or when you're in a relationship and you take someone to uh, your favourite uh, restaurant or like a pub for a Sunday lunch, and then they act uh, so atrociously towards the staff. Oh my god! And they hate the food so much that you can never go back there. This feels very uh, raw, what you're saying to me. Is this something that's happened quite recently? It wasn't recently. No. I should let it go. <laughs> I've only, but I have gone back to that place now. But, yeah. I mean, there was like... Oh, that is, yeah. But it did mean switching partners. So how did the TV show come about? This is uh, Eat Your Heart Out on Dave. Yeah. I have to say I'm very jealous that you got to do this show. It seems like uh, just a dream, really. It was an absolute fucking nightmare. Was it? It was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on. Don't say that. <laughs> um, I love it. I love the show. It's come out really nice, but um, 
um, it was really difficult to make because Six, we well, we didn't have any budget and we didn't have any time. And so you had um, to pay for all the meals yourself. No, <laughs> it, we didn't get as bad as that. But yeah, well, definitely I mean, tips. The yourself. schedule was ridiculous. We had sixteen sixteen episodes, yeah. and uh, we had four days to write it. What four so, days to write sixteen episodes? Yeah, yeah. Um, surely that is. It's Actually, impossible. yeah, yeah. So Unless was, you just wrote, he eats for twenty minutes. That's it, really. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, it started off as a show not about food, and you're like, "What if we just have me eating?" Well, that was that. I think that was the thing, really. And then, and then we had the budget to film an episode a day. Yeah. So you're eating fried chicken and cocktails at eight o'clock in the morning, and then you're full, and then you're eating another meal at eleven, and you're full, and then you're eating another meal at three, and then you're full, and then you're eating another meal oh at six, God. and it's actually, it does actually if you actually watch horrific. it, I hardly eat anything. There's yeah. like one where I'm trying to stuff half a pancake in my face in Brighton, and uh, and that's the only shot of anything that you see me eat. I mean, I'm not complaining. I love making it. The crew are great and everything, but it's just sort of. Re- I don't eat a lot. Yeah. I drink a lot. So I, okay. So Maybe you should have done a drinking show. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I tried to put as much drinking in it as possible, and we've just cut, taken it out in the edit. <laughs> Compliance wouldn't allow it. Oh, did, but yeah. if you look in the early episodes, I'm always holding a drink. <laughs> and so we we were filming, and uh, the crew were all really great. And what what happens is when you eat. You eat a bit of it, and then, you know, because the crew are on their feet all day, you give the rest of the crew. Yeah. And I'd have, like, a bite out of the food, and we had this really tall sound man called uh, Sean Smith. If you're listening, hello, Sean. Um, hey, Sean. And he was really tall and skinny, and he would just literally just eat everything. He was like a, a one-man swarm what, of What, he'd come in afterwards? Yeah. He would, yeah. Soon, he would be waiting off camera with a fork in his hand, and he'd just come in and eat everything. That, well, that's kind of handy to have. Though, it was right? great, because yeah. there was no waste on the series. Yeah, yeah. That's good. So I always feel sorry for. Was he the boom operator? Yeah, the boom operator. Yeah. I feel sorry for boom operators. Don't. They're the only people that the only time anyone speaks to them is when they do something wrong. They ne- no one finishes a take and goes well boomed really, oh, really? well boomed. no oh, it's we, only boom oh well he must have felt very special because he's he, I think he's in he's in several episodes is he we make a feature of him yeah. oh, well, there you I go. love him <laughs> there you go and he got well fed he must I bet he's praying for a second series isn't he I loved all the crew yeah well he, he must be starving right now <laughs> <laughs> did you think it would be fun to do a food show but realise that gluttony is not a pleasurable experience I don't really like people watching me eat I like eating alone yeah. in the dark this, full of shame the impression I'm getting is that you might have been the wrong man for this job it was a weird one it was a weird one so yeah so when <laughs> when the, the the idea came along to make a food show about two years ago and uh, and I was approached and they said do you want to make a food show and it was just at the time that I was going through a breakup mm-hmm. and which you feature in the show but this is a, that's a fictional breakup but this was like a breakup where you go right okay well I'm going to take every job that I can get to get out of the house yeah. and this was uh, a non-broadcast pilot and I said they said do you want to do you want to do this thing and I was like yes I'll do that I said yes to everything yeah. at that time and so we went and made it and the, the I think it was originally with Channel 4 and Channel 4 had uh, uh, passed on it and um, and I thought it was alright but it was a very straight food show it was almost like a top gear for food thing mm-hmm. where I was being a presenter and I was talking down the lens and I didn't and I didn't really like it and then um, they said uh, oh Dave would like to make 20 episodes mm-hmm. and I was like oh I don't I don't really want to do that <laughs> and they said well we're 16 and I was like oh I don't really want to make 16 episodes of that but what if we smuggled in a like, comedy uh, series yeah yeah I had a comedy series called Heavy Entertainment which didn't get recommissioned and I was just like and I've been desperate to make another thing yeah. and so they were just like well, you've got this food show and you can kind of do what you want with it so you brought in like you know you, you mentioned David Trent he's in the show my mum and dad are in the yeah. show yeah so basically and there's like a bit of a narrative thing as well isn't there so these are all things that you put in to keep it like interesting to you And I love cooking and so I love cooking and I do like restaurants I like going to restaurants and stuff I don't like overeating and and I'll eat like maybe once a day properly so like the concept of doing like a food show where you're just eating a lot it's kind of and and as I say I don't like really people looking at me when I'm eating Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people are like that so the idea of doing like a food show where the main focus is people watching you stuff your face you know I felt like really worried about that you know I had a lot of trepidation about that I'd happily have someone just watch me eat the food the was amazing yeah. is the thing even like um, seeing stuff go down my chin I no mind. I hate I hate all that I hate all that 
I think that you know you don't want to you don't want to give people any more ammunition than they really than they really <laughs> need. So yeah, so the whole thing basically came from the fact that they wanted a food show and I wanted to do a comedy show. Yeah. So, but because food is very personal to me, so kind of like what I brought to it was the you know the personal journey type thing. So it starts off where in North London where we are now, yeah. where I live, and then uh, and it's where I grew up, and then it goes to St Albans where my family live, and then it goes to kind of Brighton where I used to live, and so every place on the map is either populated with places that I grew up that I associate with food that I have food memories from yeah, yeah. or it's with people that um, you know some of my, you know, my best friend uh, John Harrison who's a journalist over at the BBC he's in it and then my other best friend Jen from Brighton she's in it and these are all like people that are my friends I love that you're pointing to where I'm they like, are pointing <laughs> where they are and like, so all the guests were off my phone and, yeah. um, and so you also had a meal with heroes yeah. people that like I suppose more comedic icons and people were there anyone that you were really worried or nervous about meeting and eating especially now that we know that you're actually a bit self-conscious about people watching you eat <laughs> that's quite a lot of pressure isn't it hey I'm a big fan of your work uh, now I've got to eat in front of you I think I was, I was pretty much nervous about every single person that was in it because it was an untested yeah. format when we started as well we were sort of like making up as we went along and that was very nerve wracking especially when you got someone like Bob Mortimer in it and you think not just you don't want to let him down but just by him being associated with it will bring in a wider audience than I would by myself. Was that moment where Paul Whitehouse turned up, was that genuinely a coincidence? That was, i tell you what, that was genuinely a coincidence oh, wow. uh, up until the point where it emerged <laughs> that Bob Mortimer had texted him. <laughs> but he does live around the corner. But we only found that out long after, when he actually bangs on the window, yeah. I'm just there going, oh my God, yeah. this is a double whammy. What yeah, are the yeah. chances that Paul Whitehouse walked past? But the legend is better, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, it was a complete coincidence. We didn't but know. But it was a coincidence for you. We didn't know. Yeah. None of the crew knew either. Yeah, yeah. But that's what happens. You get Bob Mortimer in yeah. and he kind of brings in Paul Whitehouse. That. It was amazing. I love that. So tell us like what the tour is about because you've got... Um, a brilliant <laughs> title which is one of those ones that I kind of wish I'd come up with there is nothing you can do to me that I haven't already done to myself mm -hmm. is that aimed at a particular person or is that no that's aimed at the audience <laughs> is it I think yeah it's kind of like the, sh uh, the show was originally going to be um, I think it's a really good title <laughs> but the show was originally going to be quite political um, and because, you know, when you're coming up with ideas for shows, this is in January and you're thinking, oh, God, there's so many hot topics. Yeah. And then I just got bored. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, you hear it all the time. Yeah. And so I so what I've written, actually, is like, an, like a really personal show. Um, <laughs> it doesn't sound like a laugh riot. It's a really personal show about depression. And, okay. um, and uh, yeah, the show basically gets systematically goes through almost all the things that you shouldn't talk about in a comedy show and it's sort of quite challenging can for some you, audiences can you give any examples of, of is this something if you don't mind me asking that you've obviously suffered with depression, depression yeah yeah i mean all, well all of my all of <laughs> all of my i was just i always remember that my favorite care bear used to be uh, the one with the thundercloud on his stomach can you go that's not a happy yeah. kid <laughs> So I yeah so I've always had depression but I've always written about it and uh, and I've always kind of like tried to deal with it but not in sort of like a navel gazy kind of way but just sort of trying to trying to just be really honest and open with uh, Do you find it like a bit it's exercising it's like uh, I think it's cathartic Yeah Yeah I think it is a bit cathartic but I also think that it's cathartic for audience members as well I don't see the point in kind of being one of those wearing a smile comedians and you just come out and you say isn't everything wonderful and you try and trick people into thinking that isn't the world perfect and lovely and then they leave smiling and it gives them like half an hour I think that it's much more important to me to kind of deal with actual issues but I don't come out and talk about oh I have depression and this is how I felt with it I try and do it kind of in an abstract way where it's yeah. like a collage where you've got songs and routines and jokes and you have bits and pieces that don't necessarily directly relate to each other but then when you look at the whole show and think about it you kind of go oh we address sort of yeah. like an issue like that. I think I'm, I'm sort of not interested in seeing other comedians who don't talk about something that is 
quite real or personal or a bit oh i thought it was a roller coaster that sentence (laughs) (laughs) i thought i'm sort of not interested in well yeah there's a lot of double negatives going in i'm not interested in seeing what you've just described to me nick i've got to be honest yeah Uh, you're like what where's he going yeah no just like you know like you say the sort of just telling a couple of jokes and you know that there's always been a description of some comics they're like you know like being with your mate down the pub sort of thing yeah you know it's okay in like small bite sizes or whatever but if you want to go and see if you're investing in a persona and going to see someone's full show you kind of want some like meat to it don't you You, like i think so and i think that it's sort of always been slightly not necessarily tried to but i've always been slightly challenging for audiences where you know 50 percent of them love it and 50 percent of them hate it and and um, how do you cope with that Oh, I, 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 I thought I was mainstream. I'm absolutely <laughs> gutted. When I, when I found out that I was challenging, I was like, ah. But all of my shows have sort of... Uh, I did a show called One Man Megamyth, and that was about the trappings of fame. And I did a show called This Means War, and it was sort of about war, but it really it was about relationships. And then I did a show called Dare to Dream, and that was about you know ambition and hope and uh, when you're young looking into the future and then the reality of growing up. And then... Underneath, as a subtext to all of that, is about my stage persona is a really sort of broken, depressed individual who's basically just completely lost on stage. And I think this show is the first time that that's kind of like not been the subtext, but it's actually been like the main body of the show. And so from the stuff that people know you mostly from on TV and stuff they come to see, do you notice that some people are like, oh, this isn't the guy that I... It's weird. Uncle fans are the weirdest because um, they come and they're confused because it's not Uncle. And it's just like, well, Uncle's a half-hour sitcom for a start. Yeah. And I'm uh, an act. I'm also a musical comedian that talks about depression. And Uncle starts with... suicide yeah an attempt, attempt to suicide and has songs all the way through it and you go it's not yeah it's, it's not, not a million miles apart in a venn diagram yeah. there is a lot of crossover definitely but, uh, but i think what they like most about uncle is the 12 year old kid <laughs> and i will i can't be him and they were, they were, they were like him. oh we we were coming to see the kid oh we wanted to Shit. see a chat about nick puberty. helm is the the adult right 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 so i find that weird. yeah that's but I, i'm also sort of interested to see what the food show's done because yeah. if I get an audience from the food show as well, that's pre-Watershed. And that is kind of like the nicest I've ever been on TV. And, um, and do you ever have voices in your head that go, oh, maybe I need to cater to them a bit? There was, there was a huge rift in me that was kind of like, right, well, I'll try and please everyone. I'll try and do stuff for Uncle fans. I'll try and do stuff for Loaded fans. And I'll try and do stuff for you know, people that have seen me on 8 after. And then you just think, right, well, I've just got to do yeah. my show. And I've got to do, you know, I've got to write what I feel like this year. Yeah, 100%. A show is always like it's a snapshot of where you were at that moment in yeah. time. This is a good snapshot of where I have been in for the first six months of the year. I was always very, I think you're absolutely right that you have to just do that. And like some percentage of the audience may not come might, along for the ride. They might not come back. And, uh, and that's the risk that you've got to take. I, always, I was always so impressed with Simon Amstel when he just basically decided to you know he he felt like he had a thing that he had to say and he started doing stand-up that was so the polar opposite of what he was known for from buzzcocks and things and i saw some of his shows and gigs and people in the early years when he sort of changed his tone and style Mm -hmm. just weren't they were like we want the guy that slags off preston or Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean but he stuck to his guns and over a period of time People now know what to expect, and he gets just as big audiences, but they're like, they've slightly changed or evolved or whatever. I think that's it, really. I think also, you know, every time I do anything, I try and do sort of the opposite of what I've just done. So when I did Uncle, I followed that up with Heavy Entertainment, and I followed that up with Loaded, and the character in Loaded is different from the character in Uncle. Uncle is different from my uh, live show and my stage persona, which is different from who I am as a person, and then the food show is different again. You're just trying to do something that's different so that people don't literally pigeonhole you yeah. and think, oh, he's the guy that does that. Every time, even down to every time I did, when I used to do 8 out of 10 cats, every time I did that, I used to have different facial hair because I didn't want to be, that's the guy with the beard. Yeah. yeah. And even now, when I don't have a beard, people go, oh, you've shaved. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. I d- I'm not a character on a TV show. I'm an actual human being. You're the opposite of branding. Yeah, I'm, tr- I'm like literally try and change. Yeah. Uh, I'm like uh, I'm like a really low rent 
Madonna, yeah. who's always changing her image. Um, <laughs> do you do costume changes? You do, don't you? I used you? to do yeah. costume changes, but it's so, th- such a bore, like, and they're yeah. so expensive to get costumes made. Will you be releasing a sex book Hopefully. at some point? Fingers yeah. crossed. Good. That's what it's going to be called. That's what it's going to be called. Nick Helm's <laughs> sex book. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I think, oh, yeah. It's a new that technique I've come up with. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. See, that was too too fast for me. I didn't even... Um, you mentioned Loaded. That looked like it was a lot of fun to do. Yeah, that was amazing. But did you just sort of pretend it was real for however long you were filming there for? Was, this I, was the show where you got you and your best mates all, like, invented an app and... Became um, millionaires. Millionaires, yeah. yeah. I mean, I love Uncle, and that's... Like that whole crew and all the actor actors, they're like a family. Yeah, we worked with each other for like for four years, and I've seen that kid grow up, and it's brilliant. But we were never allowed to swear on set, and you know, it was mm-hmm. just like it was kind of like it was always like walking on eggshells a bit. And because of the it. kid, or there yeah, was because some... of the kid and BBC, and it was all like a lot yeah. of compliance stuff. And, and 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 I don't begrudge any of it. And I loved working yeah. with him. And you know, I'm a responsible adult anyway. And it's not like I was giving him drugs or anything but you know <laughs> it's kind of like it was such a it was such an, a different nice experience to turn up for work every day and um and us four guys we were all in our 30s and we all had like similar interests we we're all sort of like star wars nerds mm. and and you were you know, swearing we left were right swearing and so all and, uh, the time yeah. <laughs> we were swearing all the time and uh, you just used to turn up going fuck 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 just we, because you could i mean yeah well, there was a blooper reel that was just all of the time Times that I said cunt, and uh, and it was just it was just me over and over again just yeah. swearing, and uh, and I didn't realise how much I swore when I wasn't. I didn't swear once for the whole six weeks filming process with Uncle, yeah. and it's and and our relationship, me and the kids' relationship, was really lovely. He'd come in and say, "Oh, I've just found uh, a, a new band that my that my my dad's got a record, and I've just found a new band." And I was like, "Oh, who are they?" And he'd say, "Pulp," and I'd be like, "Oh, <laughs> fucking hell, I am so old." With this, it's like we already knew who Pulp were. And there'd be a time when Jim and Sam were filming a scene upstairs in the... We had this big concrete bunker, which was this big concrete bunker, which was the uh, mansion that we were staying in. It was a £5 million mansion in the middle of a Royal Park. It used to be a submarine testing unit. So there were these huge cavernous kind of concrete sort of garage spaces, but they were huge. They were kind of... Uh, it, was like a, it was like a bunker with like these big concrete pillars in it. And so Jim and Sam were filming upstairs. And so me and Johnny, because we weren't needed, we just got these automatic uh, Nerf guns. And we went in and we were just like, we had like, I think it was that the does most- That sound like a lot It was the most fun, fun I've, I've ever had as an adult and possibly a child. We were like shooting at each mm. other and then reloading That's and hiding beautiful. behind pillars. And they were like filming and it was a quiet <laughs> set upstairs and we were just going for it downstairs. Are they doing more? Because it sounds like this, is really good for you it was very I mean you talk about catharsism Catholicism (laughs) (laughs) that was my next thing I think the chances of another series at this stage are a bit slim but we're still waiting to find out from AMC to see what's happening Mm. it's done really well in America and I think um, I think everyone sort of wants another series so we're just waiting to find out just to go back to Pulp yeah that kid you remember when you were a teenager and you th- you thought of like uh, you know Zeppelin or the Beatles or whatever as some part of long past history? That's how he feels about pulp. Yeah, it's the same. Isn't that weird? It's, it's almost the same dif- distance between me finding my parents' Beatles albums and him finding yeah. pulp. It's 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 the same. It's like twenty years or twenty five years. But do you know what? When I was at school, I bought Misshapes. I think it was a single talking about singles i think i bought a cd single of miss shapes yeah. and uh, my friends just absolutely rinsed me they just took the piss out of me for buying that and they at the same time had bought the out here brothers boom 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 <laughs> and that was the cool stuff to buy at the time uh, but you must have been a very young teen then because you if you're like older than 15 you'd know that boom 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 is not cooler surely I mean, you must have been like 12 or 13, right? Maybe I was 12 or 13, but... Yeah. uh, You couldn't have been like 19 and them going, what? I think that what you're saying is I was the mature one. I could see the longevity. Absolutely. You were ahead of your time. In Cocker's career. But there would have been morons if they were... maybe it's great, it's better to to burn bright and fade. Yeah. It's burn bright and extinguish like the Out Here Brothers than it is to... (laughs) It's just. Oh, I thought you were going to say like Kurt Cobain or someone, but yeah. No, yeah, the out here, yeah. Bro- oh, yeah. out here brothers, Kurt Cobain, whoever yeah. your hero is. 
<laughs> they were my musical icons. So please don't like try and take your life tomorrow or the next day, just because if you've said that on air and I didn't pick up on your signals, I, I don't feel, think I the feel, out here brothers. No, but you said it's better to burn bright and fade away. Yeah, I'd but I hate I, it. I, if what you, I really meant was just have that one hit and then get shit yeah, straight away. I, I just didn't want this to be a cry for help via my show no that's yeah. uh, that's the tour <laughs> over 28 <laughs> dates um, 28 date cry for help and let's just plug it for you because it would be crazy not to because you know people can't google things like this it starts on the 27th of september that's pretty fucking soon that's wednesday mate that's oh next God. wednesday okay it well, goes on luck. to the 18th of november good luck with the tour before you say goodbye to us um, i mean you said that with a lot of doubt in you <laughs> good luck with the tour <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I think I feel, like, I feel like you're, you're very genuinely sensitive. giving me no good, good luck. Good luck with the tour. Good Is luck with the it? tour. Good luck with the tour. Like it's a done deal. <laughs> like it's already done well. You don't need luck. I Have fun on the tour. Don't need luck. Enjoy mate. the tour. It'll be amazing. You know what? You've not done a tour before. They're so much more fun than doing Edinburgh because they're not sitting there going, "I could have seen two thousand other shows right now." You better be fucking. They're there good. for you. They're there for you. Yes. Good luck with the tour. <laughs> That was worse. Oh, God. Somehow worse. So, before you go, you've picked a guilty pleasure for us. You, I presume, you're a fan of... It sounds like you like a lot of sort of cult movies, B-movies, that kind of thing. Mm. But this is a straight... You've picked something that's so straight down the middle that it's kind of surprising from you. It's like my out here, brothers. It's like it sort of is. This is your out, out, here, out here or out there, brothers? I think they're out, out here. The out, out here, here, brothers. Or whether yeah. they're the out there, brothers. It doesn't sound right out there. <laughs> but maybe I've been saying it wrong all this time. I don't mind mainstream stuff, but I find all of the things that I love have been because I found them by myself. You know, like uh, my, my favourite film is Army of Darkness mm-hmm. and Evil Dead 3, and I've got that from a video shop and I watched that and I fell in love with that and no one had ever seen it, no one would ever watch it and that was a very solitary kind of passion for me for years and years until Evil Dead became big again and then my favourite band is Alice Cooper and I found that by myself and I you know nobody liked Alice Cooper nobody and even today I have to convince people to come and see Alice Cooper with me and that's a very he's not had had a sort of like resurgence really or like he's just had a new album out no I mean like um, it's not like been sort of uh, claimed by hipsters or or something like that do you know what I mean I'm, I'm sort of glad yeah well i'm very glad because he's still yours he's still he's still mine and he's still he did a he did a podcast with mark moran mark moran mark moran mark maron mark maron yeah or it might be moran i don't listen to i don't listen to podcasts (laughs) right but like eight people all got in contact and said oh alice cooper's done mark maron's podcast and that was really nice because people knew that i would have liked that yeah yeah and then all of a sudden you go oh right so i just think i was surprised to learn that he was quite a staunch republican that was one thing who alice yeah you just try not to i've met him a few times met him three times and i just always just think you know just it's famous isn't it don't meet don't meet your heroes generally that's because you're the dick (laughs) you meet your hero and you project such a bell end that it's tainted that, that yeah. their body of work forever but with Alice Cooper I find that not just with me and my heroes but people in general I taint you know yeah right mm. better to leave it as a distant imagination of what it could be but apparently Alice Cooper's really nice it's just yeah. that I've always seen him when he's very tired oh tired Alice tired Alice so tell us what your guilty pleasure is my guilty pleasure is it's, it, well, it's, it's, it's two it's two yeah but um, and I don't go across the board for all of them but I'm a bit of an apologist when it comes to this guy and my two guilty pleasures are That's My Boy mm-hmm. uh, starring Adam Sandler and Mr Deeds starring Adam Sandler is a theme and I, re- I, I mean I think that Adam Sandler made two really good films near the beginning of his career and people loved them. They, Happy Gilmore and Wedding Singer. I mm-hmm. think that, that he made like the really funny film, and then he made a romantic film, and that kind of got everyone on board. And the people that are still diehard Adam Sandler films are still basically deep down hoping that one day he'll come back and he'll do something that's as good as that again. So, but that, I mean, he's made about twenty films since then, hasn't and he? And the so love for those two films, yeah, kind of 
makes people a bit blinded by it all. what do you think of his um when he goes off brand with his like uh, the cobbler and the rain over me and uh punch drunk love well, and people say that he stopped trying yeah um, and that um people say that he stopped trying and that he's lazy but i mean every couple of years he does do he does he's do something he's always doing something that he does that doesn't imply laziness he does do something that's also different from his brand but a lot of the time it doesn't work but a lot of the time that doesn't work for people that make that their brand yeah you know uh punch drunk love is obviously amazing but yeah. that was um is that pt pt anderson pt anderson so i mean he uh, punch drunk love is pt anderson completely understanding his subject yeah. Adam Sandler yeah, yeah. and making making this amazing film around him I quite like Rain Over Me did you see that one? I didn't see Rain Over Me um, but I, I didn't really enjoy Spanglish that much and I thought the cobbler was absolutely fucking atrocious but he's working with the right people yeah. you, know? you kind of go oh that guy who made Station Agent and Win Win this should be a good this should be a happy marriage and I haven't seen The Cobbler I have to say I quite like the look of it but uh, the, I heard some I, pretty nasty reviews the about idea's it the idea is alright it's just um, it's just the tone of it's wrong and it's just kind of and it's a bit it's just depressing and weird and yeah. I, I just it just it just ah oh, well it, I just didn't think it worked but, so what um, what is it about that small but by the way uh, a, a comedian you and I both know who comes and does uh, a lot of new sort of like talking about latest films and stuff on the show is James Gill and he is a massive uh, Adam Sandler fa fan and he he's always championing him because he he believes that he's sort of a bit misunderstood I think he's misunderstood and, me and James are mates and we talk yeah, about it quite a lot yeah and and he's I think people are just snobbish aren't they because like what do you write he about makes, he makes bad films he does he does make bad films I mean Jack and Jill is terrible and, and what do you like about That's My Boy and Mr. Deeds? That's what is my it that boy is just so relentless. So much they went for a hard R. Yeah, uh, and they've made that a film that's got just so much swearing in it, and so much sex in it, and yeah. so much kind of just grim, <laughs> unpleasant humour in it. And they really went for it. And it's but it's hard. It's quite a sweet film, yeah. but it's just got Adam Sandler with a massive prosthetic penis, uh, masturbating and. Uh, over someone's gran and it's oh, kind of like and, and the whole basically setup for the film is kind of um, inappropriate it's based on uh, it's based on um, a real story about a kid that had sex with his teacher and she became pregnant mm -hmm. and then I mean it's based yeah. on a right that's child quite, abuse kids yeah. basically yeah that's and they know. made this kind of like broad knockabout comedy <laughs> out of it and if you just take all of that aspect out of oh, it you mean the, the basis the, of the movie the kid was championed as yeah. kind of like an absolute legend for having sex with his teacher well I guess and that's what the film is yeah and you know now I've said that out loud maybe it should be my <laughs> guilty pleasure but um, well it definitely adds weight to the guilt part definitely of it definitely adds yeah. weight to the guilt maybe maybe I'll just focus on yeah. uh, Mr. Deeds just <laughs> um, but uh, which is a, a film about a man that uh, killed a, a baby Mr. Uh, Deeds it's a knockabout comedy Mr. Deeds is based on uh, the Frank Capra yeah. movie Mr. Deeds Goes to Washington um, which is a yeah it's one of the classics right great, great film yeah. uh, but, but they've just and everyone's going like well you know it's kind of um, it's very disrespectful to the original source material and you go well of course it is it's Adam Sandler I mean he's not you know, I think that in his heart he wants to be making Frank Capra movies that make everyone kind of like, or he did, and yeah. now they're a little bit more um, cynical. I yeah. think where he's kind of like aiming for heartstrings, whereas that almost came quite naturally in his earlier films. Yeah, there's something about the wedding singer where it just all just ha it all just worked for think, some reason. It and all I think a lot of that is uh, him and Drew Barrymore, yeah. and they were great together. Um, like to the point that I even gave Blended a pass, which was them in South Africa blending their families together. <laughs> like uh, I watched that on a plane mm. <laughs> and I cried, <laughs> but I think that was the altitude. What is it about planes that make movies so much better than so they really are? Is what uh, is it? I've seen some stinkers that I've loved on planes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. things that I've just as I'm as I'm in in it watching it, going, I know that I shouldn't like this, but this is amazing. Yeah. There has got to be. I, a I think it's. I just think it's the fact that you're either going somewhere or you're coming away from somewhere that you loved, and this is your comfort thing, yeah. isn't it? It's taking you. I also get very constipated when I'm high up, but I don't know if that's got any connection to that. Um, 
No, no. I don't think it has. I think you just put okay. that in there. Um, Mr. Deeds is really great, I think, because um, because they've taken like the basis, and they've and it's not just his character. There's actually a lot of really funny characters that surround him in. Yeah. I think. And also, one I've of the not seen Mr. Deeds. What? What? Who are the like supporting cast in that one? So you've got John Turturro okay. as a butler, and nice. Winona Ryder is a reporter. That's okay. kind of, and she's got a boss that's played by uh, Richard Harris's son, uh, Jared Harris. Jared yeah. Harris, and um, and then and they're all really and they're all doing really broad, and the comedy is really, um, it's it's. It's the thing that Adam Sandler doesn't do anymore, mm. which is, uh, it's really surreal and really kind of like, he'll just, there'll be something that comes completely out of left field. Uh, there's a bit when uh, there's a building on fire and someone's got to save the cats. And there's, so he's throwing all these cats out the window and uh, everyone's like catching them and uh, catching them in weird places and one of them goes down uh, a sewer and somebody sticks their head out of the sewer and the cat's on their head and then there's like this cake and they catch a cat and a cake oh and my God. It, it's really surreal it's and like then all French of a sudden they something. stop doing it right and and then the and then the tone changes and then there's a bit when they all sit, they're all on a plane and they all sort of uh, start singing David Bowie and then that <laughs> start, and it's just there's just all these you're actually selling this really they, well to it, me I I mean I think that they got to a point where it's kind of like um, uh, Adam Sandler was never rewarded for the good films that he made because everyone said they're all awful mm. and so he stopped he he stopped caring what anyone thought about him and he just sort of like made films and that meant that I think there's something that's affected his quality control because when he did make good films which I think that uh, I think uh, Mr. Deeds is a good film I think it's as good as definitely as good as um, The Wedding Singer it's a different film from The Wedding Singer but it's, it's as enjoyable as that and, uh, and because nobody I mean I've, that was on telly and that got one star in the Radio Times and you go right well that was hated but then if that's one star then what's Jack and Jill yeah I mean it's not one star is it at worst it's three stars yeah if not if not but no, no, very few films are actually one star when you actually think about you know telling a story and putting it together are there yeah but even if something's like Jack and Jill could have the best cinematography ever and as a cinematography enthusiast mm. you could sit down and enjoy that on a whole new level yeah, it could be. but you're never going to give that more than one stars because the majority of people aren't watching films just for yeah. an aesthetic I do feel like his films could be a bit more epic in uh, its cinematography <laughs> what, well, that's the thing. He, also, he works with he works wide, with the wide same screen IMAX uh, he with, comedies. He works with the same like three directors. Is uh, is it David Dobkin and? Um, oh yeah, he does loads of those sort of Eddie Murphy type movies, doesn't he? Um, he did Shanghai Noon oh, yeah. or Shanghai Nights, um, and um, there's another guy that he works with all the time. Uh, and who? Dennis, D- no, Dennis Dugan. Dennis Dugan. What a name. I like that. He works with him loads. And um, and there's always shots of them on set. And he's the director, but he's also manning a barbecue. Mm. And they're just having so much fun on set. And you just think, yeah, but, you know, you don't see loads of shots of Steven Spielberg manning a barbecue. No. You see him behind a... I love that. So Maybe people are like, look, he's not going to make a good film, but... Uh, the food on set is amazing. I think that's how he gets all the cast members. Yeah. You know, he, and, and the people you've tasted really David, uh, Dennis's uh, sausages, Dennis's right? Sausages. Oh man, just, you've got to hire this guy. It's like a summer camp. They yeah. always just have like these yeah. amazing experiences. Well, I'd heard from a very uh, from like a fairly reliable source, but someone who's connected to you know a, like I don't know two people along to uh, to him who said that he just doesn't care about critics. Like he he makes films. Goes and um, you know does test screenings in Middle America and only gives a shit about what real audiences, N- not in New York or LA or any of that. Just he just wants to do crowd pleasers. And he's meant to be one and of the nicest yeah. people on the planet. And he's meant to be yeah a, a really J- sweet Judd guy. just can't stop saying nice things about yeah. him basically. And I th- and I and I like to be- I like to believe that side of him because I don't think that because we were talking off air about uh, the ridiculous six yeah. and it's like a two and a half hour western that he's made yeah. where it's his dances with wolves and people call him people call him lazy and it's not a good film 
but the amount of effort it would have taken to do a period western yeah you know um which he's written or co-written as well and which he's co-written yeah. it's an epic he's and produced the stunts. it there's stunts and it's kind of like he's done all the right things the cast is pretty amazing. it's got like half of reservoir dogs in it yeah and half of SNL from the early 90s. It's, yeah, well, any film with David Spade in it is, yeah. uh, is a good one. From, well, it's not necessarily good, but well, I'm, watch I'm, it. I'm definitely going to watch Mr. Deeds based on your like trippy description of it. Um, I think out of all of his body of work, it's in the top half. Really? Top quarter. Okay, I good. think it's, I I'm think it's really good. It and That's My Boy is just so absolutely... It's designed to offend you on yeah. every level. And, um, and he puts on this really thick Boston accent all the way through it. And it's just ridiculous. I just think, uh, yeah, you know, me and Brett Goldstein are big fans yeah. of that. Yeah. And I think every so often we'll have like a quiet moment yeah. in, a, in a kitchen. Hey, your text, say, like, do you want to meet up and talk, about, you, that's you, talk about that's my boy? <laughs> it's kind of um, a little club. I love it. So uh, we're going to play out your second uh, song that you picked. This is from the man that you clearly adore um, that we've uh, spoken about, Alice Cooper. Uh, what What is this song and which film is it from? This song is called uh, He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask. Yeah. Uh, he's Back, He's the Man Behind the Mask. And it is from uh, Friday the 13th, Part 6. What's the subtitle? J Jason Lives. Jason Lives. Yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah, I mean... Is this, as an Alice Cooper fan, is this in his, like, is this one of his greats? Or? I think it's a really fun song. And yeah. it, was, it was the beginning of his comeback in the 80s. So, like, uh, I think 1983, he basically quit. Um, uh, he was, like, had substance abuse and he was an alcoholic. And um, he almost died and he just quit the industry. And then about 1986, um, he started his comeback. Uh, and he had an album called Constrictor that came out and this single and they did a video for it yeah. uh, which was which had uh, Jason in it and it was a bunch of kids in a drive-in I think and they were watching uh, Alice Cooper come on the screen and it was kind of like his the beginning of his comeback and um, and I think it's really nice and that I've got the Life and Crimes of Alice Cooper box set and there's a demo version of it and I actually prefer the demo a little bit more than oh, the final release should have got the demo but um, but I just think it's a really fun song and it, it sort of um, marks the beginning of uh, of him getting better oh good well this is uh, Alice Cooper he's back the man behind the mask Nick seriously have fun on the tour I'm not going to say the words <laughs> good luck uh, you, you I'm just sure, did it no but not in context I'm sure it's going to be amazing and I'm going to continue watching the food show which I'm enjoying very much thank, thank you, very you much. for coming on thank you come on dad I'm trying to make a good impression it's a lovely night walking in the moonlight is very romantic trust me but dad you promised to let me use a car if I got good grades <clears throat> if you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes.